Hello, Roy here. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to The Roy Green Show ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. Let me introduce you to um, to our next guest. I always appreciate when we have a chance to speak with Selena Cesar-Chavan. She was the first black elected member of Parliament for Whitby, Ontario in 2015. Over time, she came to understand that she was being tokenized by her government. This is what she's told us before, which would largely assign her appearances at events organized by black communities in Canada. So the new MP objected and came to question her party's commitment to diversity, equity and inclusion. And uh, Member of Parliament Cesar Chavan informed Mr. Trudeau that she wouldn't be running again in 2019 and was subject to angry tirades by the Prime Minister. So she left, sat as an independent and didn't run again in 2019. Now, just three weeks ago, we'll have her explain to us what happened when Selena Caesar Chavan was on Parliament Hill and was subjected to checkpoints. We'll get into that in a second. But let me tell you a little bit about her. Her best-selling autobiography, Can You Hear Me Now, is out in paperback. It's a tremendous read. She's launched an equity-based app, Maximizing You, the letter U. She's a champion of Mental Health Parliamentarian Award. She received that in 2017 from the Canadian Alliance on Mental Illness and Mental Health. She also was the Global 100 Under 40 Most Influential People of African Descent from Politics and Governance. She was Black Parliamentarian of the Year in 2017 and Chatelaine Magazine's Woman of the Year in 2019. Selena, it's good to talk to you again. How are you? It is always a pleasure to be here. Thank you so much for having me again. Yeah, it's always fun when, when you and I talk. <laughs> I just had this thought while I was talking about you. When you see what's going on in this whole election cycle, this because we're in one, we're never out of them. When you see what's going on in the federal government now, you have the liberal NDP alliance, you have the conservatives uh, tearing at each other's throats over who's going to be the leader of the party. What are you? What are you seeing? What's what's your reaction to what you see? So. Roy and your listeners, like it, what I'm seeing is what actually transpired in Ontario, right? So, you know, most people would have thought that Doug Ford may probably would not have gotten another four years. And if he did, he would have at least gotten it under a minority. There would have been some challenge to him, how he handled the pandemic, how he handled a number of different initiatives. But when you don't have another leader, who is able to inspire confidence in the electorate. So the liberals uh, put up someone that didn't inspire, um, in my opinion, Andrea Horrath overstayed her welcome, just like Kathleen, Kathleen Wynne did. Um, you get what you got in Ontario. And when you see what's happening on the federal side, I keep questioning, like, how does Trudeau keep getting elected? Well, when you don't have a conservative leadership that's going to inspire the majority of Canadians, and we saw Pierre, you know, marching with the convoy and, you know, really just having this sort of further division, further divide, uh, you see uh, the NDP doing this alliance, uh, and I'm going to use air quotes if your listeners could, could see that alliance in air quotes um, with, the, with the federal government, you really, you know, you're going to get a few more years of Justin Trudeau and his, you know, his tagline of, you know, we could always do better. There's always more to do. And you'll continue to have provinces like, like 
you know, Saskatchewan stating their claim, like, you know, stepping up for their, for their regions. So what I'm seeing is a lack of leadership and Canadians being forced to pick from the bottom of the barrel every single election. And it's not fair to any of them. We were talking last hour about the leadership issue in this country. Scott Moe, Ujjal Dessange was on with us. I'm, I'm glad to talk to you about it. But let me go to something that happened to you three weeks ago on yeah. Parliament Hill. Tell us about that. So I hope we get to dis- dissect it a little bit more, but for context for your listeners, I'll tell them that I was on Parliament Hill with a group from uh, Toronto Metropolitan University or Ryerson. It was called the um, Institute of Future Legislators. So it's a bunch of young people who are interested on in being on the Hill in some way, either as an MP or a bureaucrat, some way informing our democratic decisions. And the last trip that we took, it was, it was three w- weekends. And the last trip was a trip to Ottawa in which they could actually sit in the chambers, um, in the Senate chambers, have debate and sort of really mock up what they would do if they ever decided to go into government. And of course, being there and being a former politician, I decided to wear my pin. So the parliamentary pin, uh, for those of you who don't know, when you're elected, and as long as you've ever been elected, uh, you get to wear this pin. And this pin gives you access unfettered access to every building within the parliamentary precinct. Meaning, once you're wearing the pin, security knows right away that you are either a current MP or you are a past MP. And so you will not go through, you know, you're having your bag search, having your body search uh, to get into the parliamentary precinct. And on three weeks ago, that is exactly what happened to me. I had my pin on. It was highly visible. I made sure that it was where people could absolutely see it. And I was subjected to my bags being searched, my body being searched. And then immediately after I walked in, uh, I was escorted through security. Another former MP who had been elected and left politics way before I did, at least a good 10 years before I did, again, had the pin and walk straight through the front door. And that MP was not from a visible no, minority. She, she wasn't government. No, it was Peggy Nash, and she's been public with it, so I don't mind saying her name. Um, but she just was told, oh, no, you don't have to. In fact, she was told, you don't have to go through security, Miss Nash. You could just go right through the front door. So you're black. And again, you get, you again get treatment. I'm not, I'm, not ask, I'm not saying that people would recognize me. No but they recognize the pin on both. Yeah. And so, I was racially profiled versus- Well, I would say so. Yeah, yeah. And, um, and you know what, Roy, when you think about that, when you think about how long I've been talking about this, so I brought this up in 2016, that this was happening to me, that I was not given access to parliamentary buildings, my office, um, getting, getting on the bus, and people said, oh, you know, Selena, you're a diva. You're expecting too much. What do you want people to hold the door for you? That wasn't the, the case. And when you talk about leadership, if in 2016, the prime minister had said, hello, this is my parliamentary secretary. I want the parliamentary protective services to know who she is, to make sure that when I walk through a building and I'm safe and I'm protected by parliamentary protective services, that she also gets that same treatment. If he actually stepped up as a feminist and as a leader and understood what 
what intersectional diversity looks like, he would have done that six years ago. And that's why we have this continued repeated behavior because of a lack of leadership from the top. Yeah, I'm thinking about the impact that it has on the young people who were there with you watching this going on. Oh, absolutely. And when you when you think about, so I also want your listeners, Roy, to, to think about the fact that this is not my house. It's not Justin Trudeau's hill. It, the, the, the parliament is the people's house. That's where the, 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 the democracy, demos and kratos, the, 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 the Latin terms, means the power of the people. And so when you have young people, when you have regular citizens being profiled, being in, uh, unable to access the building based on what they wear, when you think about C-22 in, in Quebec, based on what they wear in certain legislators, based on their abilities in certain legislators, based on their, their skin color or their gender or whether there's gendered washrooms. These are all points that limit access and a sense of belonging inside these institutions that are supposed to belong to the people. I know. Before we go talk a bit more about the world of politics and the world you left, and I hope you return one day, what is Maximizing You all about? So I developed Maximizing You because, like you said before the break, Roy, people were talking about DEI or diversity, equity, and inclusion. And I don't think people were quite understanding how to implement it in their organizations or in their daily lives. So what I did, um, because I do have an MBA in healthcare management, I also have an executive MBA, I created an app that aligns various leadership competencies, like, for example, communicating, building resilience, um, the research around decision-making or stakeholder engagement or networking, and I tag them with various equity components. So understanding how to network differently, how to um, how our intersecting identities build resilience. So how our biases impact the way that we are able to communicate or to develop product or services. So really taking a it's a 15 module um, app that can be downloaded through the App Store or through Google Play called Maximizing You. And when you go through it, you'll learn these um, leadership competencies, which I base on a lot of research. So they're research-based, but as you're developing those leadership competencies, you're also looking at ways to do that with a very equitable approach, um, which I think is different than just saying that DEI or understanding diversity, equity, and inclusion is a standalone. It's not a standalone. It should be incorporated as part of an organizational structure around leadership development. Yeah, the more people understand, the more people know, the more it's applicable, the better we do at everything. Exactly. If you can't apply it to your own self, how do you expect to apply it to a whole organization? Well, exactly. Let me, we have about five minutes. Um, go back to the government for a second here. Mr. Trudeau talks about being a feminist. But there was the treatment of you by Trudeau, yelling at you twice when you told him you weren't going to run again in 2019. He'd made you, well, he made you feel like, uh, didn't he say something to you like, look at all I've done for you? Oh, yeah. Right? Yeah. yeah. Like I was, I, that, that I should be totally appreciative of everything that he is and his brand and everything that he purports to be. And then there was the treatment of Jody Wilson-Raybould, who you know well, mm -hmm. um, Dr. Jane Philpott. When a prime minister behaves in a manner like that, 
It filters down the ranks, and I think it encourages others to take a dismissive position toward women, and then also uh, toward women from visible minorities. I don't like that term, but it's, you know what I mean? Uh, but it's, um, you know, like, like Jody Wilson-Draybould, First Nations, mm-hmm. you are black. You contributed in that government. You contributed to him, but you were beholden to him. If there's mm-hmm. anything that's sexist, that's the behavior. That's the sexist behavior. Mm-hmm. Did anything change when you sat as an independent member of parliament? Did people act differently? You know, I don't, I'm not sure if there was enough time for there for me to understand a difference. But when you when I look at over the news over the last couple of weeks, and you know what Michelle Rempel, for example, has put out in terms of a toxic environment within a Conservative Party, again the tone is set from the top. And if we really think about the 42nd Parliament, you had someone who purported to be a feminist, someone who valued diversity and had problems with Jody Wilson-Raybould, Jane Philpott, myself, Leona Alislev, Eva Nassaf. That's right. And it really sets the tone. And it's not just about women. It's about understanding that when you have a practice or an organizational culture that is so toxic that you don't give a sense of belonging, you cannot, therefore, really tap into the value that those individuals bring irrespective of their intersecting identities. So you don't tap into that because people are so afraid to speak. They're so afraid to challenge. They're so afraid to give their opinion that might be dissenting. And it it ends up costing Canadians. So Roy, really quickly, we know that when you add diversity, it, it causes organizations to have a 19% higher return on investment, better better decision-making, et cetera. And these are all done by McKinsey or Boston Consulting Group. We can look at the research. So when we don't do that, especially in our policy, when we're exclusive and toxic, it costs Canadians from having people who could really have great decisions at those decision-making tables that could impact them in a great way. I'll bet you there were people who when you said to Trudeau, I'm out of here, I'm not running running again. And then when he behaved the way he did, and you sat as an independent, there must have been people who said, why did she do that? She was on the fast track. Oh my God, you know, this was, she had, that road was paved with gold. Why would Selena do that? And unfortunately, I think that may be the preponderance of the attendees in the Canada's parliament. Instead of doing what they're supposed to do, and that is to stand up for themselves, and then by extension, stand up for their constituents, because if you don't stand up for yourself, you're not going to stand up for anybody else. If, if, yeah, if, they, if they'd done what you did, we'd all be better off. 100%. And you know what? Um, to your listeners, there's this great essay by Clayton Christensen, who's this great Harvard um, professor, who wrote an essay called How Will You Measure Your Life? And in the essay, he says, it's easier to stand by your values and principles 100% of the time than it is to stand by them 98% of the time. You have to draw a line in the sand. And I knew that I couldn't look at myself in in the mirror if I accepted the behavior, if I got myself quiet and decided to be the model minority, which they they call it, or to, to, you know, sort of be... The, the nice version, the quiet version of Selena. I just couldn't do that. And so we have to stand in our values and principles and challenge. Otherwise, we're not going to, otherwise, better will not be possible. If you want to hear more, subscribe to The Roy Green Show on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever 
you find your favorites. And if you like what you hear, leave us a review and tell a friend. I'm Roy Green. Have a great weekend.